Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, achtung and happy new year. Welcome to We Have Ways 12 Days of Christmas Guests. We're talking to a famous face about their personal relationship with the Second World War. And today, we're talking to the fantastic Dan Snow, all about logistics in the war, naval supremacy, and his worrying Amazon purchase history. Achtung, achtung, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. Uh, one of our Christmas special editions for those days between Christmas and New Year, firmly embedded in the bass or the taint of the festive season. Um, uh, we have a special guest, Jim, to enliven yep. that that time of uh, languor and uh, a calorific overdose. Who have we got? Yeah, yeah, super, super special guest today. Uh, um, great buddy, um, a brilliant historian, brilliant broadcaster. I mean, just one of the best around. But uh, in, in my humble opinion, you know, he's right up there with Michael Wood, who's one of the greatest um, uh, presenters of historical documentaries there is. Uh, it, of course, is the brilliant Dan Snipe. Dan, welcome. Hey, good to be back with you guys. Yes, yes it's been a while, actually. I think the yes. last time you came on, we were talking, we were standing on Arnhem Bridge, weren't we? Uh, I think we were. It was so cool. We were, we were watching right. the sun come up on the south bank of the river there. Yeah. 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 You've exactly. been busy? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, keeping busy, Al. Well, we all are, right? I mean, uh, it, it's exciting. I mean, the, you know, this fun adventure that we're all embarked on uh, and uh, we, you know, the opportunities that have accrued to those of us who have taken matters into their own hands and gone digital and, and done pods and videos and YouTube and TikToks and all the rest of it. So yeah, right. it's been, it's been a great year, but it's the same for you guys. It's been, it's been super fun, hasn't it? And it's about doing what we love doing and about not being told bossed around and all the gatekeepers out of the way. It's been brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I that mean, is, I, that, that is it. That's the key to it. Yeah. Not, it's I, I, not being bossed about bit. I like. Yeah. And, and you, I mean, I like to dress it up as we're on a frontier and all that. And we're, but all that, it's mainly about not being bossed about, mainly about not having to explain ourselves, which is if, you know, I mean, for, to those listening who don't know what, what on earth we're talking about, podcasting as a as a new as a new thing is quite unlike broadcasting in that there isn't a committee sat between the listener and us. Basically, there's no one teeth sucking. No, well, I, I, and and I think that listeners listeners might might be. I mean, I I get on the street in the old days. I used to get on the streets. I know, God, I know, you know, James did. I know you, Dal. You know, someone someone goes. Oh, yeah, there's there's one of those blokes on the telly. I'm going to walk up and say there's a Spitfire in a field near me, and and they're just going to come down with the BBC team and dig the thing up. And and what listeners won't be aware of is that you know I would go into the, the fifth floor at the BBC like once a year. I'd get sort of brought up there and talk to the senior management, and um and they'd say yeah hi Dan in between sort of coffee and checking on their more important sort of you know emails. They say, what do you really want to do, Dan? I'd say, I'd, I'd mumble something about the Seven Years' War, you know, thinking, well, you know, it's all meant to be about enthusiasm, isn't it? So I'd sort of say, well, the thing I'm sort of working on at the moment is Seven Years' War. And they'd look at you with like a mixture of sort of pity and bewilderment and anger that they were even in this meeting. I'm like, mate, you're the history commissioner. You're not even like a science guy, right? You're like, you're meant to be into this. Um, yeah. And so, and, and it was just like actually humiliating, right? And, and, and yeah, but, you know, one idea in 30 would get off the ground. That's what people saw, obviously, when they watched the tellies. But you didn't see the 29 
absolute crash and burn the humiliations. But now the thing is with History Hit, with you guys, we're able just to say, oh, what, yeah, what little shipwrecks just turned up off the coast of Devon? Yeah, we'll come down and have a look at that on Tuesday. And, yeah. and, and, and the, the trick that we all realized, well, because we, we were in on a bit of a secret, weren't we? And everyone listened to this pod, is that we knew that history is a, a massive and fascinating thing. And it felt like that was the, our, that was our only superpower. Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing else. It's, and, and we felt that when we watched it on telly or, and there wasn't enough of it, or, or, because I, I look at the best selling book charts, it's full of history. Yeah. I look at magazines in, in, a, in a news agent, W. H. Smith, it's full of history. I, I look at TV Hollywood and, or TV or Hollywood, it's full of history. I look at gaming world, full of history. So therefore, I'm thinking to myself, there's, it's not that we're some mad little bunch of geeks here. This is like no. a massive thing that, yeah, that yeah. is not, you know, it's like, it's basically as big a niche as, I mean, a, you know, a, a mega global sport. I mean, like it's a huge thing and millions of people all over the world are really interested in it and, and share it on social media. We were, and you and I would see that. You know, like, and eventually we just realized we can actually reach those people directly rather than begging broadcasters. Well, to it's interesting, of- isn't it, Dan? Because, you know, when it comes to commissioning and channels, you know, commissioners are commissioning things on behalf of the channel and potential other markets that they might be able to sell it to. Yeah. Whereas what we're doing is we're making it directly for the punters. And yep. there's such a massive difference. Well, it's a diff- different, whole different model, isn't it? Yeah, a different model, different way of looking at it, and and, and you get a different result, of course. Yes, I mean, it's going- entire, entirely. Uh, some of it is entirely mystifying. I remember in, after I made the Road to Berlin program, it was a long, long time ago. The next, the meeting with the commissioner, the next meeting, I said, "Well, I think the Second World War Party's over." Yeah. Oh God! Don't Amazing, get me started. It? It, happens, it happens every six months. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. you know, you guys fill up an entire festival full of people that are fascinated. You know, it's just, it's just, it was just nonsense. And the weird thing is I went to a conference the other day in Glasgow, uh, with, um, and it was, it was history, science, it was factual, it was factual media conference. Uh, and I went along and even there, you know, we were all among friends. Even there, it was like, it was like, here's, the, it was like, we all went to the big meeting at the beginning. Here's like natural history this year, like David Attenborough going, blah, 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 blah. and then it was like, and then it was like, and we've also done science this year, and it was like planets and way and like carbon yeah. capture and nuclear stuff, and then and then it was like, and then and then it was like a bit of geography, some geography, geology, and then at the end they they didn't call history the history thing, like they called it sort of past is now, you know, you're like just <laughs> just, just call it. Call it what it is. Do what it says on the tin. I don't know why. Like, what is it? Have I, have I, is it like, is it part of the culture war that I missed? Is it like a, are we worried that the kind of neo Nazis have, is this, I don't get it. But you go to a book, you know what? You go to a bookshop and history is in front of you when you walk in and there are lots of people. I don't, I don't, and podcasts, Jesus, you know. Right. Half the top fifty of in the UK certainly now is a history podcast, right? So yeah. I, I cannot, I cannot. I think it's because the people in charge of that kind of legacy industry are just people for whom they think history is the thing that their very boring father-in-law does, and they ignore things like it's one of the most popular undergraduate courses in the UK and 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 around the world. It's it's the, one of the most sought-after um, optional A levels in the UK. This is young people doing it all the time. Like I don't, I just I, so anyway. We you, we're all obviously and and then we had that knowledge, and then we went out and you've done amazing things like you know Phil Festival. I say Phil Festival sites for those kind of people, and and and, and I, I'm not and, and and no one is surprised among your friends, yeah, except a load of weird old people at the, the in legacy media organisations going, oh bloody hell, who saw that coming? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, funnily enough, though, I uh, this is pure gossip, but. I saw I saw Professor Brian Cox last night at the thing, 
And, you know, he's had his stargazing thing pulled because it costs too much. And that was literally him and Darren Brian and a telescope. I mean, and he said, if I wrote a drama about stargazing, I'd probably get it away. But an actual factual program about about the, the stars is, is a really hard sell. Well, listen, so, I, yeah. Al, I, know, I know that you guys like wearing headwear on your live streams. I didn't know it was time for the hard hats because there were names dropping, but um, I think <laughs> get the old steel, get the steel can on the head. Um, but no, you're, no, you're absolutely right. Well, I mean, you know, but th- that's right. And, and Brian, you know, good, good luck to Brian. He's, he's got a great gig at the BBC, but he needs to understand that, that they, there is, you know, you know, like, like the <laughs> very hesitant to use this comparison, but like the rappers who took control of the music industry in the nineties, they were, why are we going to work? We're not going to go and work for those people because, you know, now you guys, you, you can laugh in the face when Brian Cox goes, oh, they've cancelled my show. You go, yeah, well, no one's cancelling this show, right? Because yeah. it's yours and it's correct. Well, I think, I think he, I don't think he's short of options, but it was, it was just interesting how he, how he, you know, even in, even in that l- line of science, they've, they've run in, they, they're running into the same sort of yeah. contracting budget thing, which is, I mean, anyway. Um, but, uh, so I remember when, when, when we first met on the, on the one show where we had a, um, we had a contretemps about the, uh, Magna Carta, or rather Magna Carta. Although I think there are two things. There's the thing called the Magna Carta that people think is called the Magna Carta. And then there's Magna Carta. <laughs> if you see what I mean. Because that's, it's, that's meta. That's meta. Well, because, because, because it's off reservation. It's escaped history. Uh, yes, it has, exactly. Uh, exactly. And belongs to all sorts of other people. Because, you know, if you go up there, if you go to Runnymede, there's that very odd, uh, memorial designed by an, the American Bar Association or something. Anyway, yeah. we talked about you. Talk, I remember you t- talking very evocatively about Barbarossa, about standing on the, the hoth with his binoculars, looking out across the step in front of him as the as the offensive rolled in. And I remember you being very illustrating it, quite picturing it, quite um, evocatively in a pub in Shepherd's Bush. Well, no, this, on a this table. is in the terrible dressing room in, uh, in the one show when they used to film it in the, in the corridor at, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the beep. And uh, I mean, are you, I mean, your, your, I mean, your, your singular abilities to, is to cover everything as well as the seven years war. But I mean, is there a bit of the second world war that, really sticks out for you as a thing to be interested in? Or? Well, uh, I, you know, second of all, I think it's a, for me, it's like, a, it's not, well, it's a guilty pleasure or just a pleasure. And you guys have made it your, your bread and butter, which is what's so fantastic because it is. Uh, and again, when people would tell me, oh, thanks. Second world war's over on the BBC for or, or media for the next few years. You just go, look, it's the largest war that humans have ever fought. Uh, it, it was, it saw fighting in a greater range of environments, by a greater number of people with a, than, than any previous conflict ever. It saw fighting beneath the waves uh, on, in the most distant stretch of ocean in the skies. It saw the first man-made object launched into space. It's, it's a war that remodeled the world that we live in today. If you look at Korea, you know, in many, you know, many ways, um, still continues to shape the world, whether it's, it's Korea, it's China, Russia, of course. Um, it's a world in which many of, it's a war in which many of our grandparents, people we met and loved yeah. and knew really well were in and told us about. It's a war that reshaped the street in, I grew up in where I lived in London. There was, there were, you were craters left from, uh, from Lefafa bombs that cracked the facade of my house and therefore gave us a problem with the uh, leak as well. <laughs> Water ingress. So, so, and it, and it, so, yeah, so, and it sort of reshaped the architecture of us. So it's not surprising that we're all really, we love it and we're interested. Oh, we love it. It's the wrong way. We, we are absolutely fascinated by it. And I will not be World War II shamed by anyone. 
Like I yeah. find you guys have made a career out of that, but I just won't have it. Like, a, you know, no, it doesn't That's make a t-shirt, isn't it? I will it, not yeah. be well more t-shirt. Yeah. Well, someone popped up on my timeline the other day saying, "Oh, what do you mean fans of the Second World War?" I said, "Well, I'm I'm an unequivocal fan of the destruction of Nazism. Yeah, well, of, go. Yeah, don't, really, don't, really, don't really have a problem with that, yeah. you know." Yeah. Um, but so, so, so that's that's my kind of you know. So I I absolutely love the Second World War, and the great blessing for me because we weren't really we didn't do much at university or school for me so the great blessing for was going into a media career like you guys is you end up doing a lot because that is understandably where people's passion lies so i i'm very very excited to have and work with you alongside you guys on many occasions doing that i mean i do love whew, i don't know I, I i i like the naval i love the naval war. i'm a kind of navalist and so therefore i find the yeah. battle of the atlantic sort of fascinating and important and mm. as i get older and grayer and sort of grumpier i i'm uh, and I think I sense this a bit from you guys from the pod. I, I'm getting more interested in sort of logistics. You know, obviously, <laughs> o- obviously, oh, Dan, we, you're just uh, you, no. You, you, I mean, honestly, first of all, you've just done an absolutely brilliant pricey of why we should all be interested in the Second World War. Yes. And now you've just said you like logistics, and that is just no. But yeah, but you know, and, and you know, I agree. I we'll I mean, love you know, SS Rogue language here. We all love SS Rogue heroes and the vibe. We all love the kids blowing stuff up, right? I mean, that's great. But but for me, that that the, the, you know the extraordinary way in which the you know just the indian like the indian ocean for example the way the f- the food was mobilized or uh, and, mm-hmm. and diverted that with issues around in bengal but like of course that's all part of it but you know th- th- these giant global systems kind of cranking up and and basically on that bit how unbelievably bad germany and japan were you know it, yeah. just sort of tactic we're not we know you guys know this but tactically brilliant operationally pretty good and but just like no idea about how to sort of feed like keep the, these global systems running and that's because one thing brits had to do was run global war on a, on a global scale they'd been doing yeah. it since utrecht and before right spanish war of spanish succession and so there's people there in whitehall just very comfortable with the idea that you're in charge of like east african rice you know like that and yeah. i just find that <laughs> so I, I find that a bit really so the battle of the atlantic comes kind of fascinated by and it, it's that wonderful mix of it's that wonderful mix of the system and like like the dowding system being kind of boring and bureaucratic and geeky and wonderful at the same time yes was, so, i mean so, do, do, yeah. do you remember al when we did that thing on on was it freetown um, yeah. or, 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 it's, it's one of those west african coastal ports and basically the, the british suddenly realized that what they needed was a kind of stop-off point yeah, yeah. And, and and the only one could be was this but it has mountains coming up just one side of it, and the port is only X, and it only had Y amount of infrastructure. So literally within three months, they had to transform it into kind yeah. of port the size of Cardiff or something. Yeah. I mean, it's just absolutely insane and incredibly difficult to get to and supply. And they did it, and, and it's mind-boggling, the, the, the achievements and the logistical achievements that carried off. And I find it deeply inspiring as well. And we listen, we saw this during COVID. So this point is no, and lots of people made this point during COVID. So that's one of my nice after the speech points gone, blitzed. But, you know, you, you, for me, I, what I take from the Second World War is, you know, if you look at uh, obviously Aaron, like aviation, uh, if you look at that good, great Freetown example, you think, God, the things we can do when we put our minds to it, you know, yeah. the, and you get these people going, yeah. how are we going to achieve energy independence? And you're just like, get a grip, lads. Like, honestly. Yeah, well, I like the Churchill quote. About about the, the the great Churchill quote about about the Mulberry Harbors, he said, "Don't argue the matter. Yeah, the problems will answer for themselves." Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is yeah. basically just get your end goal and work backwards, yeah. which I think that, is a great mantra for life. Yeah, and that's but that's eighteen months though, isn't mm. it? Yeah. That's a, eighteen months from that memo to the thing, you know, le- leaving harbor. 
in time to arrive on D plus one. I mean, it's incredible. And I hear, look, there's economists listen to this who are laughing at my naivety here, but I do think that COVID was a reasonably good example of, well, if you can drop 45 billion quid on a test and trace system that manifestly didn't work, you know, like I think, you know, and actually in many ways, you know, obviously the vaccine delivery was astonishing, but, but you just go, listen, lads, we need to have a bit of a national, we need to have a moment of national mobilization to get ourselves off buying na- liquefied natural, natural gas from lunatics, right? Mm. We just need, that needs to happen within the next year. So let's, let's just get on with it. We, and also the best thing is if it fails, you've, that's one of those good journeys where you're still quite like the further you get on that journey, the better. Like it's not yeah. like, it's not like the Russians who end up with a, a moon project that then it was a very expensive dead end, right? Like it was, yeah. anyway. Yeah. So, so I find the second world very inspired from that point and, and inspiring to come back to my point about the Battle of the Antic is like the doubting system. You've got this kind of ultra bureaucratic and like super geeky, by the way, a lot of female operatives, as you know, working in like the Western Approaches command up in yeah. Liverpool and stuff. And, and that's basically early computers and, and visualization of data and stuff. But then the, as with ever the second world, War, you've got this wonderful, you've also got like the lads on HMS Bulldog, like storming onto U110 and just like yeah. kicking doors open as it's sinking. And, and that of course is the, that is the drop. That's why it's the, the second world War is the greatest story in the world is because it, it's it's the biggest story we've ever told. We have it incredibly well documented, <laughs> and and it goes from the ultra cerebral and the ultra sort of eccentric, charismatic Bletchley. Uh, you know, Western approach where I was there the other day, and they're telling me about the this young Wren who would beat, who would play war games and beat all these like hardcore destroyer captains that would then go mental, but admit that she was brilliant. You know, all these kind of weird little stories that we all love from the Second War, and then of course you've got human beings placed in the most extreme positions they're ever placed in. And yeah. Acts of like, you know, Blair Paddy Main, of course, you know, acts of unimaginable valour, courage, hatred, awfulness. You know, and, you know, you cover this a lot and we, it's, it seems sometimes like it's adjacent, but of course it's part of it. You know, when you meet people, as we still can, you can go out in North London, met a woman in North London who was on the platform at Auschwitz. So, like, you know, you're going that way, you're going that way, love. You know, and that's, these people are still amongst us today. Yeah. You can tell you about that. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think that you guys rightly are, are mining the most extraordinary story in history and one that can can tell us so much about any if you if you if you're into civil engineering well it's all there you know yeah it, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's all there yeah well if you're into any i mean if, if you're in a, an economist and you want to sort of yeah. pe- petri dish you can you can look at look at how the, uh, all the different economies dealt with it and the stresses and strains they went under and what there is to learn from that hey and it's interesting you, you said that because um, when we spoke to Dan Todman ages ago, I said he said, "Well, you know, the the, the reason the British do well in the Second World War is because they've got the muscle memory." And I cut in and said, "Yes, from you know, they've been doing this for two hundred years since you know, le- w- w- since since Trafalgar and le- uh, uh, the, you know, easily since Trafalgar." And he and he said, "No, no, no, since the First World War, and he wouldn't have it." Oh God! He would, well, he, listen, he, I'm not going to argue <laughs> with him, man. I'm not going to argue Dan Todman. <laughs> But, but I, I think I think that's you know, obviously that really is that really is a matter of blowing dust off the, the folders, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah. Totally although true, yeah. although I think what is interesting because you know because having just been to South Africa is that is that you know when you look look at British intervention from sort of Lord Carnarvon on, where where they're trying a sort of one size fits all imperial thing. How badly it often goes. You know the the Boer, the Anglo Boer Wars are disastrous for the British, and yet. Because the because there's because the empire is so enormous and wealthy, they can t- they can afford to take their time and get it wrong and, and sort out what they're going to do. And again, that's that's a pattern in the you know that's a thing that's evident <coughs> in the Second World War as well is that we get off to this appalling start. 
And, well, and into the First World War to a certain extent. Well, the extent. First World War to a certain extent. The time and the money to sort of dust yourself down. And as long as the political will holds out, um, you know, you could turn it around. You know, it's extraordinary. I think, I think the words, I think the phrase looking for, buddy, is the strategic depth afforded by naval hegemony there, buddy, time and money. But we need to invent, a, put this on a T-shirt, we need to invent the British way of war, right? Which is, it is the Seven Years' War, the, the revolutionary, certainly, certainly Napoleonic War, Crimea, sort of slightly small time frame, yeah. First World War, Second World War, Boer War, is the Brits start real slow. And, and the reason is because we don't want to keep gigantic standing armies in the field. And, and yeah, so you've got to, you've got you know, to start from the beginning. So you've got again, to start from the beginning. But because we know, you know, our, our money's better spent elsewhere in the economy, basically. And those young lads are better spent than just sitting around in Brandenburg like their German compatriots, right? their German yeah. uh, mates, cousins. So, so I think that's the thing. But, but the being the island thing is good. And, but critical to being an island is you have to stop people um, sailing across to you, which is something we work out about in the, 17th, 18th centuries. And then you've got this ability to rock back, rope a dope, okay, get get your guard up. And then and then as you guys have both written so brilliantly about and podcast about all the time, is you you put the economy on a war footing and you and you and you you know that and, and then you end up with a kind of you know the, the, the British army in 1814, in 1918 and nineteen forty-four are some of the best pound for pound armies in the history of the world. Right. And, yeah. and so, but it, but that, because you've got that, that breathing space at the start, I mean, pretty tough being French, right? You know, yeah. Oh, Hey, war's declared by the way, uh, it, this didn't happen, but like seven days after war declared, the enemy can be across the Meurs. Okay, yeah. great. Well, that's really relaxing. I mean, you yeah. know, like, yeah. what the hell do you do about that? Right. That's terrifying. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. 
In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. Another constraint on on the British state is we don't have that post-revolutionary citizenship soldier thing tangled up in our society, do we? So, so we, you know, our armies are even more distant from the idea of being a citizen, being a participant in the state. So the state has to go that little bit further to get people to take part, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It has to, has yeah. to take, take a greater consideration of them. Unlike a French citizen, you know, who becomes a citizen yeah. if he fights. Yeah, exactly, and it's like it's now your job to manure the soil with your blood. Whereas you know the lads in the uh, the lads in the the um, you know the Royal Wessex are just like uh, hold on a minute, mate. <laughs> this yes, is a volunteer yeah, job, so yeah, yeah, quite yeah, keen yeah. to come home. Well, because and because the emphasis is all, all British warfare is expeditionary. It's um, so you, which is you, why you need your navy. Yeah, strong navy, strong Britain. Does that That's still apply? Right, I've got mm, a, oh, no, I, uh, doesn't hurt. Like, doesn't hurt, <laughs> lads. Well, I'm subs, I suppose. Well, exactly. You just keep those Western approaches. Keep your arm there. And, you know, may, 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 I tell you, I've, I've been absorbing a lot, like everyone else. I've been doom scrolling a lot of the Vladimir Putin content. And I mean, you know, they're, yeah, they're, how are you feeling they're about subs- that? I'm feeling really bad. Like, you know, they're subsea assets. I'm not, but I'm feeling better than I was three months ago. God, do you remember October? That weird stuff around the Russians started sort of going, we really expect the Ukrainians to use a, some sort of nuclear dirty bomb soon. Yeah. Remember that? And it was super weird. And like our, our defense actually flew off to Washington at a minute. It's noticed to have like a proper, like there were weird noises coming out of Western capitals and like it was bad. I mean, I was very close to retreating to my mountain fastness, which. Uh, well, yes, you, yeah. you have. Uh, we've talked about your mountain fastness before. <laughs> Is it, on a, it's on an isthmus, right? So there's, a, there's somewhere you could put a Vickers gun on a motion sensor. Yeah, my, um, my <laughs> fundamental problem is I don't live very close to it. And there's the, one, of the most po- <laughs> one of the most densely populated countries between me now, my children, and where I intend to survive the Armageddon. How are you going to get there then in 24 what? hours? You're, I, just gonna, buddy, you're oh, just going to oh, drive it? No, of course I'm not going to drive. What did, well, have you not been listening to this conversation? I'm going by sea, obviously. Of course you are. Yeah, of course <laughs> you are. <laughs> going by driving. Somewhere around Watford. Jack out the boat and off you Somewhere go. around Watford, the lads just, there's just a, a roadblock goes up. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, lads. Yeah, that's no good. Yeah, All yeah. of these shotgun cartridges and your children and food are now ours. No, no. So straight around Cornwall. Straight down. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's an effort. Straight around Cornwall. <laughs> One day I will share with you boys some of the panic purchases I've made during COVID and really and and this and one day but but not now because it's too embarrassing. But one day I will share those purchases with you. I will show you the Amazon receipts. Someone at Amazon knows is having a laugh at my expense. Oh, there's Dan. Because out. you bought this two hundred years of MREs just delivered. <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> yeah, because you bought this. Do you want this? Uh, yeah, this this heavy duty crossbow for quote shooting <laughs> p- shooting uh, vermin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this pressurized tent for keeping uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> chemicals out. Oh god! <laughs> but at least you know you'll be able to survive it. Well, I don't, man, because what I'm nervous about is um, he's not getting there in time. Not getting there in time, and then and then, <laughs> and then he comes uh, in, and you're, you're you the electromagnetic pulse. Basically, basically as I'm passing, unfortunately, that my route does take me past a little place called Portsmouth, <laughs> 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 the Royal Navy's premier naval base. So I, I've got to I've got to get past there 
GPS down, you know, I don't know. It's not good, lads. But um, no, I, I'm feeling better now. But no, one, to come back to it, you know, one thing that's very interesting about Putin is the one asset that a lot of people are briefing that he hasn't actually touched, which is annoying, is that something that the Russians are very good at, which is North Atlantic subsea, right? Arctic, yeah. North Atlantic subsea. So, and you know, when like anyone know the pipeline thing, and then we lost power to Orkney briefly. Like it's, it was scary. I thought, and you know, pipeline yep. security, cable security. So, look, the Western approaches are, you know, some geography is still, I think, may still be very important. And you know, there's a, in fifty years' time, are the Chinese flooding the Western approaches with um, small submarines? I mean, you'd be full bet against it. I would suggest, but um, yeah. So I think all that's all that's and that's where the, and what I love about military history, by the way, is and I'm reading a brilliant book at the moment about 18th century um, military history re- use by people like Wolfe and Cornwallis, who actually did military stuff. You know, it, m- military history is like an essential tool. I love I love as you guys do meeting serving soldiers, sailors, um, um, personnel because you know for them it's not just like a bit of a armchair sort of interesting quirky thing to do this is something that makes them absolutely better at their job and helps them think about things and the yeah. nature of threat and and, and ch- change and and but that's why getting it right is so important though because because when things get baked into sort of mythic interpretations of what i mean it's fascinating um that the work that people have done about um kursk and the the, the fact that the the russian the soviet and then russian consequently russian um interpretation of what happened to kursk is essentially at odds with what seems to have gone down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet they've obviously based doctrine on a great deal of what, they, what they've what they told themselves happened yeah. rather than what really happened. Well, and, and we've seen the sort of, you know, I mean, obviously so the, the, current, the current Russian army's got its own problems with the society it's a product of, with graft and corruption, all that sort of stuff. But, but clearly this idea that you, you flood somewhere with armoured vehicles, that'll work. The death ride. Exactly, because that's what worked. That's what worked in the Second World War. Well, in a lot of occasions, it certainly didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and, and and especially not at the greatest tank battle of all time. You know, uh, which isn't that isn't really what seems to have happened at all. Yeah, and I think that's fast. That's why getting this the stuff right is so important, and not and not being wedded to the mythic interpretations. That is, well, you're absolutely. I mean, you are a thousand percent right about that. And I was once in Egypt, and we were thrown out of Egypt because we went to the Suez Canal. They revoked our visas because we were doing a thing about the Yom Kippur War, and we, they were, right. we were talking about the crossing of the canal. Great, yeah, yeah. And then we said, well, you know, and also Ariel Sharon and counterattack back across now, absolutely stunning, one of the great turnarounds yeah. of, of world military history. And at that point, the fix said, I'm sorry, we're no longer. Well, we got thrown out of the canal zone. We have no longer have permission to film in this area because it, you are not allowed to talk about, it, and you're not allowed to talk about the Egyptian staff. So the Egyptian students at Staff College merrily studied the first bit of the Yom Kippur War and then not the next bit. And you think to yourself. That's right insane. there, if you can't be honest about your history, and this is why, you know, with this experts-led stuff recently, yeah. be, our secret, our superpower in the West is we are brutally, we, we need to be brutally honest with ourselves, and then we re- learn, and we it's painful, and it's ugly, and it means embarrassing people, and but it's great because you stay fit and you stay ready for the challenge. And if you're like in China, in staff groups, what the hell are they studying at the moment, right? Yeah. And I'm really glad that we have got people going, well, actually... You know, it did, you know what, uh, what? You know whether it's Waterloo, whether it's second, whether it's Normandy, whatever it might be. We're being honest. We we love new material. We love new interpretations because it's going to make us better next time around. And it's as you say, it couldn't be more essential. So these poor Egyptian young officers, you're yeah. you're tying one arm behind their back. 
And the same in the when American conversations around Vietnam, like how do you talk about Vietnam and the American military? And I'm very impressed at the kind of, when I've looked at syllabuses and the reading list and stuff, like they want those young men and women to be like brutally exposed to the strengths and weaknesses of what happened there because yeah. that's going to save their lives, going to make them better in, in the future. And that's, that is our superpower. And that's what Putin can't do. It's what China can't do. It's what Iran can't do. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, so we've got to, we've got to cling to these advantages. Absolutely. Amen, amen, amen to that. Yeah, completely. This is this is like a good pep talk, morale pep talk you're giving us here, Dan. Yeah, liberal democracies kick ass. That's the thing to remember, lads. <laughs> don't get you know, don't get your heads turned. It always yes, goes think, badly for autocrats, right? Generally well, speaking, it does. Well, yes. I mean, although I'm having just read um, uh, Larry Friedman's book uh, called Command, which is a great title for a book um, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a really cracking title. someone should sue him his chat ch- well i think he was out a couple of weeks before me so maybe the sewage is going in the opposite direction yeah. he he um his chapter about saddam hussein in the first iraq war is absolutely amazing about how saddam essentially to, to within his own framework and to his own intents and purposes completely wins that first gulf war because the the i the whole point of it was to shore his position up within iraq and that's what he gets out the other end of it, regardless of the cost to the Iraqi army, mm. regardless of the cost to the country itself. His sole aim and everything he does is geared to uh, holding his position. And it works. And um, it, it's such a fascinating... Was he in danger of, of being overthrown beforehand? Well, there's a, well, there's an instant... For, there's a fascinating instant from the Iran-Iraq war where, where um, which, which uh, Larry relates, where basically one of the one of the... One of the, there's an assault being put in on an, on an Iranian town, and the, um, the the general the general trying to run it um, keeps being interfered with by Saddam. And in the end, he go. He, in the end, what happens is the other, the rest of the Iraqi staff say, "Look, we're not we don't want a coup here. We're not interested in that. You've got to just let us do our jobs properly without you sticking your nose into absolutely everything, right?" And so Saddam backs off. And, they, and they, 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 they make it clear they have no political um, uh, uh, interest in taking over the country at all. They just need to be allowed to run the war properly. So he backs off. The, the offensive is successful. And then, and, and the, the bloke in question, the general in question, his, his daughter is married to one of the uh, uh, Hussein's sons. And so at the end of the war, when, it's all, when the dust has settled, he's, he's, they're forced to divorce and the guy's sent into exile. But, but you know, it, 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 that's his relationship with his generals. It's all about his um, position. So and it's a little like Stalin, when Stalin feels like interfering, because Saddam was a massive Stalin fan, was a student of Stalin. So, so you know, when Stalin feels like he needs to stick his oar in, he's, he does. But when he knows he, he doesn't have to, he steps away. And Saddam was like that. But in the, but in the first Gulf War, the entire thing is about shoring up his position. And it works. Speaking of Stalin, the excellent Ian McGregor, who's a great friend of yours, been on oh, the yeah, yeah. many times, and beautiful Stalingrad book. He, he and I filmed a thing for history the other day, and, and, and he basically, we basically sort of, one of those ones where you you kind of argue a point, like I was asking him to argue from Stalin's point of view, and he and I basically staggered out of that filming session going, we think we've just realised that Stalin is the most consequential statesperson of the 20th century. Like, he basically dominates the USSR from the 1920s to 1950s through the most unimaginable periods that I don't even need to tell your listeners about, um, dom- basically dominates Eurasia through the, through the second half of that, right? Is, is a kind yeah. of, it, you know, it, it takes Russia, takes so Russian nuclear, achieves everything. Be- the most, the most superb Russian foreign policy wins probably since 
you know, Tsar Alexander's Paris at the end of the Napoleonic Wars. You're like, unbelievable, like, conquer, basically conquers Eastern Europe. Like, it's an extra, moves the Soviet border miles to the, to the West. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, it is, it is a kind of, he comes out, I mean, obviously, obviously, like everyone, <laughs> uh, a criminal in, in every conceivable way. But what an extraordinary, towering figure of the 20th century. Like, absolutely. Uh, you know, when, when, and, and when you kind of just look beyond that Second World War as well, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm still reading from that thing that um, um, that Alex Ritchie told me um, about Anthony Eden going to do these talks in in Moscow in December 1941. And obviously, you know, it's it's as far as they're concerned, you know, Soviet Union's on its uppers and down on its uppers and, and, and looking, staring down the barrel and all the rest of it. And the first thing he's, Stalin says to Anthony Eden is, right, after the war, this is what I want. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. extraordinary, isn't well, it? Well, I mean, it's that thing of it, even, you know, it's the, the, the quote I have in, in the book where in, in, in November of 1941, he's saying, well, this war is going to be won by the people who make the most engines. That's us. We'll be all right. And he's, he's saying that with the enemy at the gates, you know, and it, uh, it's extraordinary. But you guys, this is the big point about the world. It, the world, like hit, the axis, it's fascinating to me that what's surprising about World War II is how extraordinarily well the axis do up to and in, up to December 1941, right? And, and arguably, obviously, then summer of 42 a bit as well. But when they had no business being that good, right? And, and so, so therefore, and, and Dan Tobman came on my pod, speaking of legends, speaking of Dan, and you know, he said, what's fascinating about the summer of 1940, when Hitler is you know, launching an air assault on the UK in many ways, the government is still... Low debt, low rates of interest, borrowing government debt, right? Like so, so there's no one, no one. In the same way that when Hitler's yeah. scouting units are allegedly, maybe that's been questioned now, but in sight of the Kremlin, people are still going. Yeah, I mean, probably Germany is not going to conquer the world. Like it, it's very yeah. unlikely that Germany is going to basically conquer from the Scilly Isles to Vladivostok against China. Um, you know, the USSR, Britain, and with America, obviously, sort of heavily, heavily. That lean well by that stage in the war, um, and, and yet, and yet, so that's kind of what's dramatic to us is that he does get, he does put the put the frighteners into Britain in the summer of forty, and he does advance to the outskirts into Moscow in forty one. In a way, that's what's so remarkable because you've also got these conversations going, going. Well, yeah, after the war, we're going to do this, that, and the other. It's it's sort of it's, yeah. it's difficult for us to divorce those two things, isn't it? Because a lot of punters out there think Hitler was about to win the war in 1941. But actually, yeah. a lot of statespeople at the time were like, no, he's not. It's going to be a pain in the ass, but he's not. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and then and then the Allied societies all start, all of them start making serious plans for afterwards. Well, yeah. Beverage, you know, welfare state, all that kind exactly. of stuff. Exactly. So the yeah. German plans are all sort of hallucinations. And, and, and you know, you, you, when you see Hitler inspecting the model of, of uh, of Germania or whatever, you know, yeah, the, the, the right. He's still he's still. It, it shows the extent to which that they always were locked into a fantasy view of the world. That he's still locked into it at the end. Whereas, you know, like you say, the the, the the Americans are figuring out when to stop lend lease, and and the and the British are, <laughs> you know, the British are worrying about about the the welfare state and the. And whether the army's too left wing, and they're bothered with those things exactly. rather than yeah, the Americans are busy picking off yeah, picking off British and trying to undermine British, yeah. you know exactly. 
Um, to the oft lamented, the uh, British Americans trying to work out how they can topple both Germans and, and, and well, the yes, Empire they've got they've got two empires, yeah, exactly. or three, 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 uh, yeah, three, exactly. three to busy. deal with. Busy. <laughs> Surely the Soviets boys, I'll do well. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, um, uh, what are your what are your history hit plans for next year? Well, oh, history the, plans the are great, very exciting. Like you guys, you know, that so, so many opportunities that that uh, come along because lots of people in the world doing lots of interesting things, right? So there's there's some there's some Yep. Interesting archaeology on a very, 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 very well-known early modern battlefield that uh, that Brits and others fought on that will be coming up soon. You know, there's just lots of lovely, you know, a lot of lot of classic stuff. So we're going to we'll do something on um, Magna Carta, fun enough. But 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 there's so many opportunities coming along for all these brilliant people doing exciting stuff. A lot more shipwreck stuff because of technology changing so quick. So a lot of shipwrecks, yep. 17th century shipwreck off Kent. We're going to be looking at so great, just, just great, lovely gen stuff for me because I so getting out and about. Like, Getting out and about, buddy. Post-COVID, we're back out. Yes. Hitting the streets. Well, Dan, great to talk to you, as always. And um, thank you for coming on. And I hope you have a very, very happy Christmas. Um, Thanks so much for having me on. It's an honour, and I'm so proud of what you guys have done with the the independent company. And uh, Merry Christmas to all of you. Oh, bless you. Uh, We've been talking to Dan Snow. You knew that. Um, We'll see you all soon. Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.